The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, Part 2, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Dom. Jan Worth Nelson was scheduled to be with us, but had to cancel. Um, let's let's move on in this second half to what happens now. Um, we've got we've got these counts going on, and I'm pretty convinced that um, we're going to see at least Pennsylvania end up in court. Um, but what is the what is the standard uh, legal mechanism that happens from election day to inauguration day? We'll make it up as we go. Well, no, there are some no. deadlines in place. Um, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I was just kidding. Yeah. In terms of the electoral college and all, I mean, Henry was it December fourteenth yeah. this year. Electoral college yeah. meets, and then that that should decide it. But then it gets that gets tallied up in the in the in the, the house in what January third, I think is the. But that's already been decided. Well, uh, that should have already been decided within the next several days that you predict, so that we move toward that time that they'll have opportunity to set that all up and get people uh, lined up and regimented to vote. So they give you. Your congressional district will advise you on how how you must behave when you get into uh, electoral college. Yeah, you must. But, but that that was that was why they had to kind of get get things wound up in two thousand in two thousand because the court decision was decided just shortly before the electoral college met, didn't it? I'm not sure. The, I'd have to look up the exact dates, but it was relatively close to the electoral college date. When the Supreme Court finally decided the election in Florida in 2000, I think, 
because that is the deadline. Because because if they don't make a decision, then it does go to the to the U.S. House, where every state delegation gets one vote, and that gets really messy there. But the Supreme Court only does. I mean, the um, <clears throat> um, go ahead. Just lost my thought. Well, here's um, the Electoral College. The Electoral College sets the vote. It says this is how right. it is. Sure. This is who. Uh, this is who was nominated. So, um, and and nothing else can be done by the Supreme Court. That's it. That goes to uh, Congress and distributed throughout government wherever it goes. Well, here's here's but, how uh, it's expected to play. Has been made. Here's how it's expected to play out this year. November third, of course, yesterday, election day. Voters vote. Votes are counted. November fourth through November 23rd, more votes are counted. Mail-in ballots must be postmarked by November 3rd in every U.S. state, but they can be received late and still counted in many states. In most cases, they must be received within a day or two of election day, but in Washington state, mail-in ballots can be received as late as November 23rd, the day before the state certifies its election results. In yeah. the battleground states of North Carolina and Pennsylvania, mail-in votes can be received until November 6th. In the battlegrounds of Minnesota and Nevada, they can be received until November 10th, and in Ohio, they can be received until November 13th. Then from November 10th to December 11th, states certify election results. Each state does it a little bit differently, but starting a week after Election Day, state governments begin to certify their election results. Those deadlines can be changed in the event of a state recount if there is an extremely close result. Most of these dates occur in the last two weeks of November, and all but Californias are mandated to occur by December 8th. Um, December 8th is uh, a safe harbor to determine election results and assign electors. Uh, under the Electoral Count Act, this is the date by which the states are meant to have counted votes, settle disputes, and determine the winner of their Electoral College votes. Governors are supposed to create certificates of ascertainment listing the winner of the election and the slate of electors. In 2000, the Supreme Court ended a targeted recount in Florida because it could not be completed by this safe harbor date. Mm -hmm. The recount would not have changed the outcome of the election, but a full statewide recount could have made Al Gore president. This is when it could become very important for Republicans that they control more state legislatures than Democrats, including in most of the contested 2020 battleground states. December. Well, see, this is the standard procedure that has been used forever, but th to this year we're doing something different because the rules have changed, or at least we're trying to change the rules. But that process has been standardized for many, many years. December 14th, as Paul mentioned, yeah. December 14th is the day that electoral votes are cast. Um, 
in law this date is the first Monday after the second Wednesday in December. This year it falls on December 14th, six days after disputes are supposed to be settled. Electors are supposed to meet in their respective states and cast votes for U.S. President. Uh, they mm -hmm. certify six sets of votes and send them to Washington. Many states have laws requiring their electors to support the winner of their state's election and can levy fines against faithless electors who go their own way. Yes. On December right. 23rd, electoral votes must arrive in Washington. The certified electoral votes have nine days to get from their states to Capitol Hill. On uh, January 3rd, the new Congress is sworn in, members of the House and new members of the Senate take the oath, oath of office at noon. This is the official start of the 117th Congress. On January 6th, the electoral votes are counted. Members of the House and the Senate all meet in the House chamber. The President of the Senate, Vice President Mike Pence, presides over the session and the electoral votes are read and counted in alphabetical order by two appointees from uh, each from the House and Senate. They then give their tallies to Pence who announces the results and listens for objections. If there are objections or if there are somehow multiple slates of electors put forward by a state, the House and Senate consider them separately to decide how to count those votes. What if there's no winner? There are 538 electoral votes, one for each congressman and senator, plus three for Washington, D.C. If no candidate gets 270, the 435 members of the House decide the election. Yes. E each state gets yeah. a vote. While there are more Democrats in the House, um, Republicans, as of now, control more state delegations, so it is very possible the House could pick Donald Trump, even though there is a Democratic majority. It yeah. requires a majority. No, I did not realize that. It requires. Yeah, no, point did I didn't realize that? Yeah. Okay. It, so like it, I say, yeah. Wyoming gets one vote, uh, and California gets one yeah. vote. It, re populations. it requires yeah. a majority of state votes to become president. Mm. The House has Ooh. until noon on January 20th to pick the president. If they can't, it would be the vice president or the next person eligible in the line uh. of presidential <laughs> succession. <laughs> if Nancy neither, Pelosi. If, exactly. Right. If neither a president or vice president were picked, the next person in the line of succession is the Speaker of the House, which today is Nancy Pelosi. Meanwhile, according to the 12th Amendment, senators pick the vice president. It is technically possible the House could get deadlocked on the president and the Senate could pick a vice president who would become president. Ooh, Repu yeah. Republicans currently hold the Senate majority, but Democrats hope to win it in November. Well, I, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Doesn't look like it now. Yeah. If there's a 50-50 tie in the Senate, it's strangely possible that Vice President Mike Pence could cast the deciding vote that gives him another term. <laughs> Talk about hey, the strange convolutions of American politics. Yeah, yeah that, all but they that got it figured out. But they got it figured out. And the, then, of course, the, on, the, on January 20th, of course, is... 
then inauguration day and the new president yeah. takes the oath. Yeah. yeah. But you talk, talk about an Abe Goldberg <laughs> contra contraption there. Good grief. Possibilities. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, we have gone down, down that route a couple of times. I mean, we had one time in 1876 where we had disputed electoral votes and we from Florida and a couple of other southern states you know, after Reconstruction. And there was a special commission that decided to, to figure out which, which, which uh, votes to accept. And uh, they made a deal basically to give the Republicans the White House if they would end uh, Reconstruction and uh, turn over the governance of the southern states to the, to the white southerners. Uh, in our ironically, in our centennial year, uh, but but that was one of the more convoluted processes where we didn't quite know who was going to become president. And it took there there again. It took many months of this committee hearing to to, to work through all of that. But the, the American people have figured out the formula, so the government is never stymied, because if the government becomes stymied, then you have anarchy and guns and shooting oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah. But they have ironed this stuff out to the, the nth degree. So we should feel grateful for that. No matter how it comes out, who wins. But there's a process. It is. Like I say, you take a look at it compared to the way other countries elect, elect people. We, we have got one of the most convoluted processes. And that norm, yes. normally works well. In fact, I used to always argue that one of the strangest things about the Electoral College is that most of the time it picked the person who got the most votes. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not been true in a couple of times in recent years, but uh, it, it, the potentials for disaster are there, and we've come close to it a couple of times. But but they followed the process, and, oh, yeah. and just oh, because yeah. the popular vote didn't align with the uh, delegation in the Electoral College, you know that's something unfortunate, but they followed the process. Something that occurred to me that I thought would be uh, an interesting twist of fate is if Biden were to win in the Electoral College, but Trump got the most votes. That would be unusual, yeah. I mean, it'd be it'd be a flip on 2016. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that could happen. And it would be interesting to see if the president then said there was something bogus about the Electoral College. <laughs> yeah, that's well. right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 would, I would hope that he didn't, and I wouldn't guess that he would do that. He would follow the process, because I, I that's think, what think, we all yeah. expect for our presidential leaders to do, follow yeah. the process. I, th- I think at the moment, is, Biden is ahead in, in the overall popular vote. last numbers I saw by a little yes. bit, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. I really haven't looked at those numbers. I've been looking so closely at electoral college math that, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just haven't, uh, I, I haven't even looked at that number. But, you know, there are some states that only have up to 5 million people. I don't remember what they are. The western oh, uh, states, I think. Uh, Wyoming, uh-huh. is, Wyoming is, is only a little bit larger than Genesee County. I think Wyoming is around six or 700,000 people for the whole state yeah, of Wyoming. Yeah, you see. So it's yeah, about the same as Oakland, a little smaller than Oakland County. Yes. But, hey, guys, uh, we're going to take... the we um, need, Henry, democracy we need to take, that must... We, we need to take a short break here, and we'll come back. Okay. We're going to hear uh, just a few minutes of the final... Uh, presidential debate and then we'll uh, 
continue our conversation on armchair politics. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. We have a vaccine that's coming. It's ready. It's going to be announced within weeks, and it's going to be delivered. We have uh, Operation Warp Speed, which is the military is going to distribute the vaccine. I was in the hospital. I had it. And I got better, and now they say I'm immune. Whether it's four months or a lifetime, nobody's been able to say that. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. I would make sure we move in the direction of rapid testing, investing in rapid testing. I would make sure that we set up national standards as to how to open up schools and open up businesses so they can be safe. He says that we're, uh, you know, we're learning to live with it. People are learning to die with it. You folks home will have an empty chair at the kitchen table this morning. What I would say is I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. It's his ineptitude that caused the, vi- caused the country to have to shut down in large part. We have the best testing in the world by far. That's why we have so many cases. Me- you know, someday you're going to have to explain why did you get three and a half. I never got any money from Russia. I don't get money from Russia. The foreign countries are paying you a lot. Russia's paying you a lot. China's paying you a lot. And your hotels and all your businesses all around the country, all around the world. I get treated worse than the Tea Party got treated because I have a lot of people in there. Deep down in the IRS, they treat me horribly. Just show us. Stop playing around. You've been saying for four years you're going to release your taxes. His buddy, Rudy Giuliani, he's being used as a Russian pawn. He's being fed information that is Russian, that is not true. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. I have not had, the only guy made money from China is this guy. He's the only one. Nobody else has made money from China. And what's he do? He embraces guys like the thugs like in North Korea and, and, uh, and the Chinese president and Putin and others. And he pokes his finger in the eye of all of our friends, all of our allies. I just gave $28 billion to our farmers. Taxpayers' China, money. It's what? Taxpayers' money. Didn't no, come no, from yeah, China. you know the taxpayers, it's called China. China. Obamacare, come up with a brand new beautiful health care. The Democrats will do it because there'll be tremendous pressure on them, and we might even have the House by that time, and I think we're going to win the House, okay? You'll see, but I think we're going to win the House. Oh, he's never come up with a plan. I guess we're going to get the pre-existing condition plan the same time we get the infrastructure plan, and the Biden care proposal will, in fact, provide for that affordable health care, lower premiums. What we're going to do is going to cost some money. It's going to cost over $750 billion over 10 years to do it, and they're going to be have lower premiums, you can buy into the better plans, the cheaper plans, lower your premiums, deal with unexpected billing, and have your drug prices drop significantly. Being the president, I think health care is not a privilege, it's a right. Everyone should have the right to have affordable health care. These 500-plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border. 
to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. And this is the first president in the history of the United States of America that's anybody seeking asylum has to do it in another country. That's never happened before in America. We have to send ICE out and Border Patrol out to find them. We would say, come back in two years, three years, we're going to give you a court case. Yeah. They never come back. Only the really, I hate to say this, but those with the lowest IQ. They the fact of the matter is, there is institutional racism in America. And we have always said, We've never lived up to it. That we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created equal. But guess what? We have never, ever lived up to it. But we've always constantly been moving the needle further and further to inclusion. You keep talking about all these things you're going to do and you're going to do this. But you were there just a short time ago and you guys did nothing. We did. You know, Joe, I, I ran because of you. I ran because of Barack Obama. I am the least racist person i can't even see the audience because it's so dark but i don't care who's in the audience i'm the least racist person in this room to the oil industry i'd stop giving them federal subsidies he won't give federal subsidies to the to the gas excuse me to the to uh, solar and wind yeah why are we giving it to oil industry we actually do all give right. it to solar and wind success is going to bring us together i represent all of you whether you voted for me or against me And that was a chance to hear uh, a little bit from the final debate in the 2020 presidential election. The voting uh, uh, ended yesterday, but the counting continues, as does armchair politics on today's edition of the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. Welcome back, guys. Good to be here. Thank you. Um you know, it was it was kind of fun to to listen to them. We've been listening to everybody else talk about the election and uh, y you know make all these uh, predictions and speculations about how it's going to play out in these remaining states. But um, what do you think the the deciding issues were? for voters in this election. I mean, it's it's obviously very tight. Both candidates resonated with a following. Um, what what were the things that, that caused people to vote the way they voted? I think you'll have to divide it up into you'll divide it up into two two ways. Uh, the early voters didn't have a cause or reason. They were scripted. And they would say, just go in and vote. And that's what they did. And uh, you'll occasionally see people who regretted that. So, um, but that's, that's how it is. All is fair in that process. I'm not criticizing it at all, but if you're looking for the truth, that's part of it. may not be the exact truth, but it's, it's close to it. Now, yeah. um, the people who are voting later and who went to polls have had time to think about who they wanted to vote for even Democrats and Republicans. And there were people who were not quite as partisan who, who uh, later went into the polls and they voted with, with, a, with a cause and a reason that was good for the country, good for all of us. Yeah, I was going to say there's probably two or maybe three issues that I think drove the whole thing. On one hand, depending on your party, I think it was either the pandemic or the economy. You know, the old uh, James Carville phrase, the economy is stupid, still is there. 
And when you took a look at, at Republican votes, it was it, it tended to be, well, the economy is good, whatever else is going on. For Democrats, yeah. it was more the, the the pandemic and Trump's handling of all that. And I think maybe kind of an overriding thing beyond that, to some degree, was just Trump's personality. I mean, there was an awful lot of anti-Trump action, for, particularly for some of the earlier voters, as you pointed out, Henry. But I think that I think the economy and the pandemic were those two yeah two yeah. extremes of the issues that they drove the that drove the voters in large part. That should have been the basis that we went to the polls, but not just with a script and just going and vote. That's well, not in, good for democracy. In the in the uh, final days of the of the campaign. Um, and to to some degree, this was true of the campaigns. You had the president pushing economy and the former vice president, uh, the Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, pushing the um, COVID. handling of uh, the, the COVID-19. Yeah. Um, and, and the media played it up as being all about COVID. And, yeah. and yet exit polls seem to place COVID fairly low on what people said they uh, was their interest when they voted. I agree. I saw some comments on that uh, to that I effect. Think, I think it went by party. If you t- took a look at some of the exit polls I saw, it was by party. I mean, Democrats tended to lean on the, the COVID issue. Republicans yeah. lean toward the the economy, and it was in fact a pretty sharp division from some of the stuff I saw last night uh, along party lines. Yeah, but there was a lot of untruths about how we approached the arguments there. Some some things were not even worth reading or printing about this the issues that were before us. But if you if you dwelled on the economy. Or on COVID, because there were some people who were serious about uh, the fact that COVID impacted their lives and gave them fear and stuff like that. That's a good reason to go out and vote for it. That's what you believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you're going out just to simply vote for one party or the other, that's not a good reason. And that's what I want. That's the point that I want to make. Because that, when you go out and vote with uh, as some kind of a definition of what you would like to see the country become or the process to be that governs our system, then you're doing things that are right for democracy and for sustaining a free and democratic society. But if you're just going out to spread BS, that's not good because you divide us most. Although, although, hey, you make a good point, Henry, but I think uh, party loyalty matters a lot. I used to have a line in class. I would say <laughs> that if a major party nominated Godzilla or Mickey Mouse for president, Godzilla or Mickey would lose, but they'd get 38% of the vote from loyal party yeah. members. And I, I say that because if you take a look at both Barry Goldwater and George McGovern, <laughs> they got about 38% of the vote, and that's only 12 points away from winning. So, <laughs> so I mean, there's, that, there are, there's about that many voters who are just going to go for their party come hell or high water, whoever the nominee is. <laughs> but is that good for democracy? Well, probably. Or is that good for that's, a that's, different that's, kind of a government? That's, that's true. Well, that may be why the founding fathers didn't like parties. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Well, Jocelyn Benson is on uh, CNN right now giving an update on uh, Michigan's vote count, um, which has swung even more for Biden. And, Paul, in answer to your question earlier, um, 
you said something about the uh, about the total vote count, and I think I saw a number that showed uh, Biden in uh, in the lead by about three million votes total. That's that's interesting. That's a popular vote. It's a popular vote nationwide, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's a, that was about the margin Hillary had in 16, wasn't it? About somewhere in the 3 million ballpark, I think, if that holds up. So, interesting. But as yeah. as we've discussed, it is all about the uh, electoral college and these uh, and these battleground states. And and which ones do we have left to decide? We have, of course, the blue wall, Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. But mm-hmm. then uh, we still have. Um, is is North the North Carolina been decided? I th- yes, I, think that I one's thought that was. I, I thought it was still was. up in the air. I wasn't sure about no, that. No, I of thought. The last time I, I heard it, I thought it had now, been Now, I still have Arizona is up in the air, but you have it called for Biden. Um, How about Georgia? Is there anything new with Georgia? I haven't. Well, well was, no. Was, Georgia is uh, has got Trump in the lead, and uh, yeah. it's, still, it's still in play. Although, I think they're waiting for all the Atlanta, the, the Atlanta County votes to come in. I, last I heard from Georgia, which... Could be a bit more democratic, but you're right. Trump had a significant lead there. Could take a yes. lot of votes to turn that around. And uh, Nevada, Biden has the lead. It's not a big lead. It's about eight thousand votes. Oh, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is. But that a margin. Uh, that's a margin that most winners would like to have. Well, eight thousand out of fifty-eight thousand. Yeah, but you're still a hat. That's the that's the thing, <laughs> yeah. and you don't know what's <laughs> coming behind you. Fifty yeah, plus one. It could be one. a snowball. <laughs> yeah, fifty percent plus one, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, the U.S. popular vote has uh, well, not yeah. It's it's about it's got Biden just about three million ahead. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, like I say, if it ends up there, it'll be ironic because, as I say, for all the huge turnouts that we appear to have had this year, that's the approximate margin we had uh, in 2016. But it also but speaks people, to the fact that there was a huge turnout on both sides of the aisle. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think yes, I, yeah. The energy on one side energized the other side, both in both directions. I think that's true. And see, people, some Democrats, and a particular, I read from a lot of different sources, but some Democrats had already predicted a landslide for Democrats. So, uh, but they didn't think about the uh, the silent majority, and they didn't think about people who don't let their voices known or their thoughts be known ahead and they will tell you what you want to hear rather than tell you the truth and though that all plays out in politics and and and, and i recognize that that was part of the cause last night why trump is so close to the biden it was predicted to be a landslide oh yeah that, that's true as i say i think one thing we're going to have to take a look at is uh, to, to take a look at how the polling was done in terms of uh just uh, whether they, particularly whether they're tapping into the rural population. I, I heard that discussed a lot last night. Whether the rural voters, in particular, were getting 
poll in the same rate that urban voters were. And it, more and more, it looks like the, the partisan divide is going along rural versus urban lines in a very yes. dramatic way. So, uh, and, and I say, what, what struck me is that all the pollsters said, oh, yeah, we've learned a lot. We've refined our methods. We've got this new system, and we're, we're taking into account all, you know, what, what didn't work very well in 16. But it looks like a very similar kind of things happen this time as well. Yeah, but I think you're right, Paul. I think that's more form than substance. I, they've got a lot of new streamlined technology and ways of reaching people, but, but they're still focusing on population centers. And, yes. and what we've learned from 2016, and I think we're going to learn again in 2020, is that Trump has been really effective at reaching uh, smaller towns and rural areas. Yeah. Yeah, you take a look at it. it, it it's a county by county vote in, in, in here in Michigan, for example. Some of the rural counties in the Thumb or up north, I mean, you'll find Trump getting 75, 80 percent of the vote in 16. Just huge landslides uh, that you you you'd rarely seen before in those areas for Republicans. Well, what do you think are the? Uh, we've got a few minutes before the um, before the next break. What do you, what do you think of the takeaways from from twenty twenty? Ah, gee, exhaustion well, <laughs> is one. <laughs> well, one of the things I I saw was uh, there are people in this country that are afraid, truly afraid. There are other people who are defensive and mean, but they are all moving in the same direction. Like, for example, the the rioting and the shooting of policemen and stuff like that. Those are legitimate reasons for people to re- react and feel fear. And I don't think that that has been uh, solved yet. And with the, with the uh, knowledge that white Americans will no longer be the arithmetic and political majority of this country by 2050, there are people who are concerned about that, and uh, with uh, and seeing all of this disruption and stuff like that, that could be causing some of the ugly uh, reactions that we see from people who uh, behave the way that they do, and it's it's also being driven by people who know what they're doing. No, they're I, encouraging I think, I think this kind of. I think the, the demographic changes are, are, are feeding an awful lot of this, and and to some degree, I, I saw, I see the Trump election as the uh, kind of the reaction against the Obama election of you know the no drama Obama to the all drama Trump uh, as, as almost a counterpoint, and we've done that before with other kind of eras in one way or the other. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it is a reaction to the demographic change, and you've seen this before when you. Yeah. Have, you know, immigrants coming into the country in the 1890s, and somewhat similar issues were raised about immigration, and it played a somewhat similar role in our politics then, too. You know, there are a couple of things that I'm, I'm curious about. I, I did happen to notice very quickly, I looked at one of the Detroit papers this morning, and it looks like a lot of the um, uh, congressional and... Um, and house races stayed pretty much the same. 
And for all the speculation about flipping the state house, flipping the U.S. uh, Senate, um, for all of that, everything kind of stayed the same despite all the the energy and the turnout and the money spent. Um, But are we going to see a flip in the U.S. Senate uh, from Michigan? Uh, the last numbers I saw. No, I, no. I think, think I, I just read that, it, that that the Republicans will retain control of the the Congress. I mean the Senate. I just read it. I'm looking. No, I, I I'm no, I'm talking about the national no, Senate. I'm talking about, about the Peter, race Peter, between Peter, James, James and Peters. Do you think James is going to pull it oh. out? I mean, I we're, we're still waiting for the. I think most of the the outstanding votes are from the Wayne County. That could be good news for Peters. I assume. Yeah, that would be because they're not likely to vote for uh, James, not the right. not the not Detroit population. But having said that, do you, do you think there'll be that much African American crossover votes because of James? I mean, a little bit. Um, did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I did, but but still, there won't be enough to match up what the big city uh, has has. Uh, you know, willing to give to uh, Peters. And even though they've had some good adv- uh, advertisement where they say that Peters is a guy that never shows up in their communities. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they give him loyalty, and they're going to continue to do that as they always do. Yeah. So that's why uh, I believe that this year will represent, because of Trump, a change in how we look at politics, how Americans look at it how African-Americans look at politics, they will now begin to see that they can move the needle to uh, get more out of the system than they have in the past. That would be good for the country. But this, uh, the idea that we have all of these riots and stuff is, is not good for the country. Well, definitely And it should not be encouraged... The issues need to be addressed, but that much is true, yeah. By the way, I think, speaking of advertising, I think one of the cleverest ads I saw was the one where they accused uh, Brian, I forgot his last name, of going fishing during one of the major votes. <laughs> was oh, yeah. One of the funniest ads of the, the Bachelor's. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. know what was funny about that? Um, and and who, who was that? Was that... Um, uh, it's up in the up in Saginaw County. Yeah, um, Ed Edler. Was it Edler or Edler? Uh, Brian, Brian Elder. Edler. That's right. Elder. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Elder. Brian yeah. Elder. And yeah, <clears throat> I saw one of those commercials. One of the you know he he'd rather cast uh, for fish cast than a cast, line, a, cast a vote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and then right yeah. after there was a Brian Elder spot, and and it opened up with. <laughs> I'm Brian Elder, and all I could think of was the yeah. next line was going to be, and I like to fish. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a fun spot, and you know who ran some great spots, and I don't know if it'll if it'll come through for her in the end. We'll see in the in the hours or days ahead. But um, Cheryl Kennedy's spots yeah some yes, of those did. some yes, of those were very very good um yeah they were anyway, anyway 
Go ahead, Paul, quickly. Uh, has anybody seen any final results for the, the Kennedy-Martin race? I, no, I haven't had a chance like to. Like I say, the, the well, Martin I had was leading. He was leading by a couple points, but... Yeah, yeah. But, but remember, you got to wait. you got to wait for those uh, delayed voters coming in yep. who well, uh, prompt it. Well, we've still got a, we've still got time to squeeze in a few X files after we take a short break, and I have a couple that involve votes that were easier to resolve than the U.S. presidential election, <laughs> uh, and we'll get into those after we take a short break when Armchair Politics continues with the X files hey, next. <laughs> this is the unknown comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates. Social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular 
doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone... I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back to Armchair Politics and my favorite segment, Armchair Politics. There's always time to squeeze in a few weird and wacky stories, even in the midst of uh, the uh, ongoing election. (coughs) The residents of Asbestos, Quebec have selected a new name. Going forward, the town will now be known as Valley of the Springs rather than the name of the carcinogenic mineral mined in the town until 2011. The town, about 80 miles east of Montreal, has watched as its namesake transformed from being an asset in the late 1800s to a liability in recent decades. The area was home to Jeffrey Mine, once the largest asbestos mine in the world, and the town grew up around it. Um, Asbestos, as you know, is uh, naturally occurring, is once widely used for insulation, but the fibers can be toxic if inhaled. And uh, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency banned certain uses of uh, asbestos in uh, 1973, a ban on asbestos-containing products went into effect in Canada in 2018. The winning name was a late entry after a short list of finalists came under criticism. A new list of six options was put forth. So in a drive-in vote held in recent days in a local parking lot, the town selected a new future. Residents aged 14 and older could participate and nearly 2,800 townspeople cast a vote, almost half of those who were eligible. It was thus decided asbestos will become Valley of the Spring. Um, 
which captured 51.5% of the vote. The name is slated to change officially in uh, December. Um, what name would you suggest? I was thinking plutonium or uranium. Yeah, I was going to say radium would be a... <laughs> <laughs> well, they managed to sort that one out pretty easily. Uh, they didn't have too much trouble uh, taking a vote on that. But here's, here's a burning issue. The European Parliament came together Friday to vote on a variety of issues, including whether a veggie burger is a burger. Uh, farm lobbyists argued no. Environmentalists said plant-based, or they said yes. The parliament said yes too in a decisive vote against a measure that would ban plant-based meat alternatives from being referred to by the names of their meat counterparts. This means terms like steak, sausage, and burger. Mm -hmm. Reason prevailed and climate sinners lost according to a member of the European Parliament who tweeted following the vote, it's worth celebrating with a veggie burger. Where do you stand on the issue of referring to non-meat patties as burgers? <laughs> I guess if it tastes like a burger, it's a burger. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and people look for the taste. Uh, they look for the also the feel of it as, as you're chewing on it uh, meat yeah. has a distinct uh, taste to it uh, well, sensitivity the, to it haven't they had the same issue with milk with this, the, the various soy milk and other yeah. uh, very alternative milks the milk producers objected to calling those things milks uh, yeah lactose free and right right but that's milk, though. It's just without the lactate. Well, a person was spotted soaring high above Southern California using a jetpack. Again. On Wednesday, for the second time in six weeks, an unidentified person was seen flying using a jetpack near Los Angeles International Airport. It's, uncle it's unclear whether this is the same individual who was recently spotted wearing a jetpack near the same airport. This time around, the jetpack was flying 6,000 feet in the air. China Airlines wow. crew members reported the sighting Wednesday <laughs> afternoon about seven miles northwest of the airport, um, the FAA told NPR. The FAA said it alerted local law enforcement and will look into the report. The FBI is also investigating multi, uh, multiple reports rather, from witnesses. FBI spokesperson Laura E. Miller said, uh, No one is allowed to fly in the airspace near airports without authorization from air traffic control, an FAA spokesperson told NPR. That includes those sporting jetpacks. Would you want to fly using a jetpack? I don't think so. <laughs> no. I don't think no, I would either. It's, no. Do you know how fast you fall? You fall at the rate of 30, 32 feet per second per second. And that's really moving. Yeah, I don't, I don't even like to fall out of bed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you reach 180 mile, 88 miles. That's, I think that's limiting velocity for 
free fall. Mm. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics. And unless you guys have any final thoughts that you'd like to uh, like to yeah, share, I, I just like to say an observation about uh, Joe Biden. And I've said this before. We assumed that Joe Biden was incompetent, incapable, couldn't possibly think. But if, and I know he's prompted and and encouraged and and support it and all the things that they say. But he looked good on the uh, on his advertisement. And I say looked good because he was appealing to a certain um, culture of people. And I think he did that. And then this is why I, I advise the Republicans, you be careful. Got to treat him like he's a real, you know, the real thing. And I think that some of us overlook that. Yeah, well, some, he made uh, an em- he made an emotional appeal that I think is difficult for President Trump to um, counter. Yeah, he, he's 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 really much more the the, the touchy feely kind of politician in a very literal sense sometimes, but in, in, in a <laughs> lot larger sense too. I mean, he's really he's because of his his background, his wife dying and his son dying and so forth. He was able to establish that emotional tie. And he is much more emotional than, than Trump is in that sense. So, but the bottom line is, whoever wins has got to be able to work together with everybody else around for the whole country. Yes. Well, I definitely want to say thanks to both of you, um, Henry Hatter on the right and Paul Rosicki on the left. It's always a pleasure. And this was a tough one to do because it was sort of a post-election, but without any results, it's really hard to figure out how to you know speculate about what what happens going forward true but yeah, we I mean, did look at some of the possible good things that would make us kind of stable secure and and ready for whatever the outcome is rather than pull our hair out you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i thought it was pretty good and like I said before, if, if for, a, for a campaign that runs two years, if it takes us 48 hours or a little longer to get the results, that's not the end of the world, you know? It's, it, the campaign's going on for a very long time, and we don't always have to have results by the 11 o'clock news. But we were used to that, but if it takes a little longer to get it right, so be it. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to be interesting to watch the next day or two, and by next week, we'll actually, uh, I think we might have some results. I would hope so. <laughs> well, I would hope so. I want, I, I want to say thank you to the president. If he doesn't return back to Washington, I want to congratulate Joe Biden, and I'm going to try to, unless he does something stupid, I'm going <laughs> to let him run the country the way he ought to be able to run it without interference from Henry Hatter. That's very generous, Henry. That's good. Yeah, yeah but but that's how I think it ought to be. That's how yeah, I thought. Well, well I think whoever gets been for Trump. I think whoever gets elected ought to be given a chance. Yeah. That's anyway, thank you both. I appreciate it. All right. Take thank care. You. We'll talk Bye-bye. next you week. Have a good day. Bye-bye. We'll see how the results <laughs> come out later today. Maybe. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. That wraps it up for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner Program. 
thanks again to, uh, of course, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. I want to say thanks, too, to economist uh, Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint, who helped me kick things off on this uh, quasi-post-election edition of Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner Program. That's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head down the hall to the living room and watch some more uh, election results. Good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.